I want to turn your attention to Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And today I want to kind of um, do an introduction, if we could. It's been a while since we've been in the book of Revelation. And I think it's important for us to kind of be reminded of some things that we've looked at and also prepare ourselves for what we are about to study. Uh, it's quite some time ago we began uh, a study of the book of, of the Revelation. Uh, you remember that I said and still say that it is the book of the Revelation. Um, if you want to see your pastor's blood pressure go sky high and the hair stand up on the back of his neck, I mean, it's like screeching on a chalkboard with your nails, uh, then, then add S to the name of the book. I'm not even going to say it. Uh, it is one single revelation, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, within this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are, some say, uh, several visions uh, that we see. And I understand exactly where they get that from because part of the book of Revelation uh, is uh, t taking place here on earth. Uh, and then, as we're going to see today, John is caught up into uh, the third heaven. He's caught up there uh, in a vision. And then uh, other places we're going to see in the future, we kind of go back and forth between what's taking place in heaven and what's taking place on earth. And so some scholars say that there are multiple visions, but I think it's important that you and I understand whether you see this as one vision or as multiple visions. It is only one revelation, only one revealing, only one unveiling, and the revealing and the unveiling is of the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory. What I think is most important for us to see as we study the book of Revelation, if you remember I said this before, is that we see the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we see Him in His capacity and all the things that He is doing. When we approach the Word of God, we approach the Word of God from a God-centered perspective, not a man-centered perspective. We don't simply come to the end to find out what's going to happen to us. We study the book of Revelation to learn all that we can learn about God and who He is and what He's doing and how He is fulfilling His plan. And once we understand that, beloved, we find our place in the plan of God. And that's exactly how we approach the study of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Book of Revelation begins in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John. So John, you remember, was on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he was there, uh, sent there uh, late in life, around 85 years of age. He was banished to the island of Patmos. You remember last week we talked about all the apostles and the horrific deaths that they died. John had already been boiled in oil and survived at this particular point in a cauldron. 
and they placed him in uh, this uh, penal island, a place that they would send prisoners to do hard time and hard labor. And it was there that the Lord Jesus himself uh, appeared to him and told him to write what you see. So when John turns and looks, we see in Revelation chapter 1, uh, not Jesus in the way that we imagine him or see him in the Gospels. Not Jesus as we think about him there. John sees a very different picture of Jesus. Remember, uh, for example, if you look down in verse 12, John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of lampstands, verse 14, well, verse 13, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with the golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. That is not what Jesus looked like when he was ministering in Jerusalem and Galilee and Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is his post-resurrection uh, likeness. This is in heaven where he is, and he has moved as Savior. He's still Savior and Lord, but he's also judge. He's also judge. And so his, his appearance is different. Verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. And when it had been made glow, to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And uh, we've studied this intently. We look to see uh, as we get to verse 19 that, that Jesus tells John, therefore, verse chapter 1, verse 19, write the things which you have seen. Revelation chapter 1 is John writing to the best of human prescription, human description, words um, given to him by the Holy Spirit of God to the best of his ability to write the description of what he saw. And then it says, and the things which are, the things which are. The things which are, are the letters that the Lord Jesus would write personally to the seven churches. And he would write these, he would tell John, he would to write these letters. He would give John these letters. John would give those to messengers. And we've talked extensively about how I believe that, the, that those are human messengers that would be representatives of those churches because there's things there that those angels are accused of doing that an angel in heaven could not do. And the word angelos is the word um, uh, messenger. Messenger. Once you get beyond Revelation chapter 3, every word for the word angel is a spiritual being, um, but we've talked extensively about Revelation 2 and 3, and most of those um, uh, messages are available online if you would like to go back and listen to those. I say most of those because unfortunately I did not get um, the last uh, of the last of the letters, uh, which is such a shame, and I thought many times about re-preaching it so that we could, we could have it. 
Um, so we have the letters. So John is to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. And so Revelation 2 and 3, the letter to the seven churches. If we wanted to, we could have Martha come up here with her map book and she could show us geographically where all of those cities are. And you would see that they are all um, on a common postal route um, is, is the, where those cities are located. And it's not just that, that the letter would only be read to that. It would be because the Bible says, let, let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So though, the, though these personal individual letters were written to specific local congregations and churches, every congregation could read all of those letters and be blessed and be challenged and be corrected and be convicted and grow in confidence by reading all of those letters. But then he says this in verse 19, the things which will take place, write the things which will take place. Now look at these words, after these things, after these things. Now, um, one of the reasons when I study the book of Revelation and really from here on out, and you know, those who've been with us, we've looked at the ESV Bible, we've looked at the CSB Bible, and for the last, I don't know how many months since we started the book of Revelation, I've been with the New American Standard. The reason is, is the New American Standard is the closest literal translation in the normal grammatical historical literary context. It is the most accurate. Now, it's not the most readable, okay? The ESV and the CSB are both very accurate in their translations and optimized for readability. Um, but the reason I stay with the New American Standard uh, is because in terms of my study from the original language and seeing how this word is translated here consistently throughout the book and throughout the Bible, the New American Standard is the one that is most literal to the original languages, even though some of the some of it is a little choppy uh, in its um, uh, public public reading. But one of the places and one of the things, the reason I bring that up is because John says here, the Lord Jesus says to John, write the things which will take place after these things. You see that? So there is a Greek phrase right there, after these things. So when I go over to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, I see the letter to the seven churches. When I come to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, in the New American Standard Bible, it has the exact same phrase, <coughs> after these things. Okay? So it is very clear... It is very clear that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, when he says, write these things that must take place after these things, part of what he's talking about and what he is talking about is beginning in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. 
Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And the other word uh, is the word behold. Because behold has such a... Um, uh, there's such power in that word to, that says stop, look, and see. It's more than look or see. It is behold. And I love the word behold. And um, in, in some translations, behold is there sometimes and not there other times. Look, see, and those things that get away from the religious word, uh, if you will. Um, but I just think it's so important everywhere that God says behold that we stop and look and behold the things that we are studying. Many, many good translations, and I use uh, many, many translations in the study, but that's the reason why I'm using, using this one. So he says, after these things I looked. So you can clearly see that there is a distinction between Revelation chapter 3 in Revelation chapter 4. And the reason I want to do this, this kind of introduction today is because there are some things that we need to know about Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 and some things that we need to be kind of reminded of before we get into the details. And so what I want to do today is, is I want to kind of walk through some things and say this is what Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is. And this is what Revelation 4 and chapter 5 is not. This is what it is. Uh, this is what it is not. And, and I think that you'll understand. And I also hope uh, that you'll understand today why if the church is not mentioned, and I'll talk about this in just a moment, but the church is not mentioned from, Re from the end of Revelation chapter 3 till we get to Revelation chapter 19, and it doesn't apply to me, and it doesn't apply to the church, why in the world would we be studying it? And I want to answer that question today uh, as, as well. Okay? All right. So, um, what I want you to see, first of all, is that Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is a, a major transition from chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, we have Jesus walking through the midst of the lampstands, and we said that the lampstands are the churches, are the churches. And where is Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3? He is walking on earth through the midst of the churches. When we come to Revelation chapter 4, Jesus is not visualized here upon the earth. He is in heaven. And I think it's important that you understand that a transition has taken place between chapter 3 and chapter 4. In fact, John says it this way uh, in chapter 4. He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first verse which I heard, which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here. Come up here. Now, he wasn't talking about come up on the mountain at the Isle of Patmos. This is a door standing open where? In heaven. In heaven. In heaven. So there is a clear transition that takes place from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the last reference to the church. When he writes to the, the letter to the seventh church, that is the last mention 
of the word church um, in the book of Revelation. The, the church is not mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5. The church is not mentioned in Revelation 6 through 18. It's not until we come to Revelation chapter 19 that the church is mentioned again. So between the end of chapter 3 and Revelation 19, no mention of the church whatsoever. So we're not going to be looking to see where is the church in all of this. We know where the church is in all of this. And that's because in Revelation chapter 3, um, as we uh, get to see, um, he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, he who overcomes, and those wonderful, wonderful overcomer promises, I hope you haven't forgotten those, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, and, um, and, and as I also overcame and sat down with my father on, on his throne. And if you go back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, he says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. What hour? That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Okay? So, part of Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is Jesus fulfilling his promise of Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. And that's why the church is not listed or mentioned or referred to in chapter 4, chapter 5, in chapter 6 through 18. Now, Christians are. Christians are. But not uh, the church. And we'll be looking at those things. So what in the world is John experiencing? Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is a vision that takes place in heaven. John, Jesus called John. He said, come up here and I will show you again. I will show you what must take place after these things. So if you want to mark your Bible 119, what must take place after these things? Chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. Chapter 4, end of chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. I think he wants to know that this is the beginning of after these things. So Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is a vision that God gave John. That God gave John. Um, if you had been visiting with John there on the Lord's day, when he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and the Lord Jesus came uh, to him and gave him these letters, and then called him up into heaven, his body was still on the earth, but he was somewhere else. Um, now, one of the reasons that people, they get really spooked out when it comes to the book of Revelation and quite honestly, there are a lot of pastors who will preach Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, but they will not preach Revelation chapter 1, and they certainly won't preach Revelation uh, 4 through 18. They'll come back and deal with the judgment. They need to get their church in line, and they'll deal with heaven if they're going to do a, a senior adult conference. Uh, but, but outside of that, they really skip Revelation. They'll pull out some verse on worship in Revelation chapter 5, but in terms of doing an exposition of 4 all the way through they skip it because they say it's too hard it doesn't make sense and not sure how it applies uh, to to them and, and this is one of the reasons that people have to have to look at they have to say did this really happen was John caught up 
into heaven and did he actually see this vision and is there any other example in the bible of that happening to such a one and indeed uh, there is in fact if you will go back and look in second corinthians chapter 12 second corinthians chapter 12 we see that a similar thing happened to the apostle paul and the Apostle Paul has more details about the experience itself than John does, but John writes more of the detail about what he saw because he was permitted to do so. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations. This is where you can use revelations, plural, of the Lord. He's not talking about the book of the revelation, but revealings, unveilings of the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Now, he doesn't even talk about himself. He, he can't even put himself there, though he, he does eventually say what it is. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Now, look at this. Whether in the body I do not know or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. So you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Either he was in the body or he was out of the body. He, he doesn't know. It's just this experience. He's caught up. He's there. What's happening? He said, I don't know, but God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And he says, and I know, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. So twice he says that. He was caught up <coughs> into paradise. Now look at this. And heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Paul was caught up into heaven and had this vision of these revelations of the Lord and the, he didn't even have the vocabulary to describe what it was nor was he permitted <coughs> to speak about it when he came down. So here we have a little more understanding about how, how um, the event itself happened. But in the other, in, in Revelation, we have more of an understanding of what John saw, of what John saw. So what he saw was, he saw, he was called up in this particular uh, vision, in this particular uh, vision. Now, it's also important for us to understand that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is not a full disclosure or description of heaven. It's not a full disclosure or description of heaven. In fact, it's a somewhat restriction. Though we see more colors in the book of Revelation than are mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, and though we see um, this wonderful description of what's taking place, what you see in Revelation 4 and Revelation chapter 5 is not heaven, not only what heaven looks like. This would only be restricted to one part of heaven, and that one part of heaven is namely the throne room of God. 
Okay? Sometimes when people read Revelation 4 and 5, particularly if they're lost or not really excited about Jesus, they're like, wow, I mean, if this is what heaven's like, I'm not really interested in going there because, you know, it's kind of dull and boring. Well, it's not gray and puffy clouds and little cupids sitting everywhere uh, at all. That's not just heaven uh, at all. But this is such a restricted view of, of heaven because it's not all of heaven. It's just the throne room of God. And I think it's important for us to see that. So as we go through here, notice, for example, how many times the word throne is mentioned. So he says in, in verse 2, he says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on a throne. In verse 3, there was a rainbow around the throne. In verse 4, there were 24 thrones and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders and, and on their head. Verse 5, out of the throne comes flashes of lightning. And you can go, you know, you can just keep going. And you see, throne, 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 throne. Where you are when John is caught up into heaven is he's not looking around and describing all of heaven and what heaven is going to be like. He's looking at one part of heaven. He is looking at a somewhat restrictive part of heaven for he is looking at the very throne room of God. The very throne room of God. In fact, this would be the place from which the judgment of God goes forth. This would be that place. And not only is it a restrictive place, but listen to me. And this is one that you may not have heard before. This is also a temporary place. A temporary place. What do I mean by that? Well... You see the description of the throne, and notice what it says here. He says this. Um, look down. Uh, notice, notice the sea. Um, There were seven lamps of fire burning and the seven spirits of God. And verse 6, and before the throne, there was something like a sea of, of glass like crystal in the center and around the throne. You see that? Now, with that in mind, go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 <coughs> The Bible says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first heaven and the first earth. They passed away. Now look at this. And there is no longer any sea. So a lot of what you're looking at in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is temporary. Now there are elements and aspects of, of what we see there and we'll see those as we go. But in terms of that being contained in heaven, it's not. It's just a, a restrictive part of heaven and a temporary part of heaven. At least parts of it are temporary. They go away and we'll see that. So there is a very specific reason and purpose for this throne room uh, in heaven. And the very purpose and of that, as we are going to see, is the spiritual realities or the heaven realities, uh, if you would, 
of the initiation of the judgment going forth from the throne room of God and the results of that judgment taking place upon the earth. Taking place upon the earth. So when we study Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we have to study it as a single unit together. This place is temporary in nature. There's another clear break when we get to chapter 6, but we have to study Revelation and 4 and 5 uh, together. 4 and 5 together. The, what we see in Revelation 4 and 5, what we see are the what we see is the heavenly realities that are taking place behind the scenes if you will in other words to unbelievers and those living upon the earth as these things unfold and happen in, in revelation 6 through 18 it's just going to appear cataclysmic disastrous and destruction and leading to despair and death Behind all of the pouring out of the judgment wrath of God is a God who is on his throne who is initiating all of those things from heaven. All those things from heaven. So Revelation 4 and 5 is not something that the world at large knows about. <coughs> it's not something that they believe. And it's not even something that most will even accept. Now, now, we have taken our stance here that we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. And we believe it in its totality. And therefore, if God's Word says these things are taking place and these heavenly spiritual realities are going on behind the scenes, then we as believers in God and His Word believe these things to be true. But as you share those with your lost family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, people you encounter, don't be surprised if they say, you really believe that? I don't believe that one bit. Well, just because they don't believe it, friends, does not mean it's not true. How about this one? Revelation chapter 4 and 5, they are necessary in order for God to fulfill His Word. If we didn't have the events and the things taking place, if the reality of Revelation 4 and 5 were not true, then, then and, and they were not the heavenly spiritual realities behind the things taking place on earth, then, then God would not be in control. And so Revelation 4 and 5 are necessary in order for God to fulfill His Word. You have the tribulation, time of judgment upon the earth in Revelation 6 through 18. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus returns to judge those opposed to him. And he returns to reward those who are faithful to him. In Revelation chapter 20, Jesus rules. Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's released the final deception, the great white throne judgment where people are sentenced to hell. Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and new earth. All of those things stem from what takes place here in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. So we have to understand and see and believe the reality of Revelation 4 and 5. <coughs> Excuse me. And... And not just see it as vision, 
but a vision of the reality of the way things are. You see, beloved, God has unfinished business to take care of. If God doesn't complete the task that he has told us he was going to do in his word of one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And if he doesn't have a way to bring that about, then friend, you might as well throw away your Bible. It's not any good to you. Not any good to you at all. God has unfinished work. And if Jesus did not come and do what takes place in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, the Bible would, would be incomplete and the Bible would be inaccurate. And therefore, you can just throw your Bible away. But there's another thing. As we study Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, what I hope you grow to know and grow in your confidence and in your encouragement in is that God is absolutely sovereignly in control of every detail. Let me say that again. God is absolutely sovereignly in control of every detail. There is not one time that God has ever said, hmm, I didn't see that coming. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He knows it all, and not only does He know it all, He controls it all, and nothing happens without the active involvement of God in every detail of life. And you're going to see that. You're going to see that happen. As we walk through Revelation 4 and 5 and see the unfolding of those things in 6 through 18, you are going to see, beloved, that the world, regardless of what you may think now and regardless of what other things, is not spinning wildly out of control. It is spinning wildly exactly the way God has ordained and set it to do in order to accomplish and fulfill the purpose of his work. And you're going to hopefully grow in your confidence and understanding of the sovereignty of God and, and rest assuredly in his absolute sovereign control of everything. And you'll be able to go to your friends and your neighbors who come and say, have you seen the news? The world is spinning absolutely out of control. And when is it going to end? And you're going to say, no, it's not. Let's take a look at our Bibles and I'll show you what God is doing. One of the questions that people ask is, um, so we're here to study about, yeah, I mean, we have these highs and these lows. Revelation 4 and 5, we're in the very throne room of God. And, you know, there's times when we study God like the, the, the resurrection and, and um, we study, the, you know, the overcomer promises of God that it just makes me feel great to study God's Word. And I just want to bask in the glory of the study of God's Word and linger there. And there's other times like when we study the suffering of Christ on the cross that is necessary and we have to do it and it's so grueling and it's emotional toil on me. If you I mean the oh what I just went through over these last weeks personally and the study of the things that we, we brought, um, just thinking about all the things they did to my Savior, it's grueling. There will be times in our study. Revelation 4 and 5 and the outcome of that in 6 through 18, 
that I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to rejoice and be glad because you see the sovereign control of God. But there are times that even John himself said he wanted to vomit and throw up. There, there are times when, when parts, when John, he was sick on his stomach of the things that he was reading and the things that he was seeing. And there's times that he understands the sweetness, the sense of sweetness that this is all necessary before the reign and rule of Christ takes place. And so we'll have those times where we're going to see this and we're going to be like, oh, enough is enough. Just make it stop. And other times that we're going to understand that God is God and what He is doing is absolutely necessary to fulfill the plan and purpose uh, that that He has and the things that He's doing uh, to do that. So what should you focus on? If the church is not here in this particular chapter or these chapters, then then what should I focus on? Well, we certainly can focus on the holiness of God. We can focus on the righteousness of God. We can focus on the fact that God's word is true. But this is not how to live the Christian life because this is not how we ought to do church. It's not how we ought to arrange our church, qualifications for leadership, principles for biblical living. This is not even suggestions for Christian counseling or anything along those lines. Why? Because the church, we're not talking about the church here. We're not talking about the church here. But what we are talking about is we're talking about God and His holiness and His righteousness and and the fact that His Word is true. And um, we need to study it. You say then, okay, if the church is not here then, then why do we need to study it? And I think that there are a couple reasons that we need to study it. And I'll close uh, with these. Number one, I think we need to study it so that we receive the blessings of Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. I like to be blessed, don't you? Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, what does it say? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. I bring this study to you and we study it together and read it together because I want you to be blessed in the reading of the revelation. I want you to be blessed. We're going to reading it out loud because I want you to be blessed in the hearing of this prophecy because I want you to be blessed in the things that God does in your life as he calls you to a sense of faithfulness and a sense of obedience. And as you see the overflowing manifold grace of God that has been poured out and given to you, that these things are not happening to you and by God's grace will not happen to you, it will cause you not to say na 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 but will cause you, right, to examine your own heart and to feel the conviction and understand that God is calling us to a life of holiness, a life of righteousness, focused on the truthfulness of His Word. 
another reason is not just to receive the blessing of God, but notice it says to read and to hear and to do, to heed. As God brings these things to our mind, may our lives adjust in light of who He is. May you and I be reminded through this study that yes, God is holy and yes, He is to be feared in the sense of fearfulness and reverence and holiness. May we be reminded that it's only by His grace, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that we, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, have access to the throne room of God that we may obtain mercy and find help at our point of need. But it's the grace of God that gives us access even to the very throne room of God. Another reason we study this is so that we will not be biblically ignorant and carried away by every wind of doctrine. The Bible issues that warning time and time again. It's in God's Word. God's breathed out His Word. All of it, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete uh, in, in Him. And God has given us in His Word and therefore we need to study His Word and not be biblically uh, ignorant. So God wants us to know it. If you're saved, it should make you thankful. It should make you very, very thankful. And if you're unsaved, then it should make you fearful. Very, very fearful. And beloved, that's a good thing. Because if you can read and listen and study these things from the perspective of being lost and separated from Christ and knowing the things that are coming your way and, 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 and it brings fear upon you, beloved, that's God drawing you to Himself because how many people could read this and not be affected one way or another, not even believe it or accept it or give it any, any count at all, don't even fear God or anything that says, don't even believe it or accept it. So if you are unsaved and we walk through this and you fear fearful, beloved, that is the goodness of God drawing you to Himself that you might see the gospel and respond uh, to it. And beloved, hopefully, finally, I hope it encourages evangelism. Evangelism, really? How is this going to encourage evangelism? Well, a poll was done uh, recently and um, and, and, I mean, you, you don't have to do an official poll. You can just look out and ask people yourself. But an official poll was done. And three out of four uh, Americans believe that the world is heading in the wrong direction. And um, they believe that the, head, that the world is heading in the wrong direction. And a lot of people feel like that it's spinning out of control. So many things are happening so fast. And, and who do you believe? And look at what's happening with the government. Look at what's happening with, you know, and all this stuff and all these conspiracies and all these things. And I am not a conspiracy theorist and all of those things. But it is easy to look at the world and see the rapid pace at which the world is seemingly spinning out of control. I don't believe it's spinning out of control. I think it's spinning right into the place where God is going to use it to usher in the last.
days. And so as you're talking to people wherever you're going, and as someone says, did you see the news? Do you feel like this world is spinning out of control? You can say, I don't feel like the world is spinning out of control. I feel like the world is spinning in control, and God is the one who's in control. And let me share with you what I mean by that. You see, beloved, if these indeed are the last of the last days, then, then people may not have a clue at the direction the world is heading. And you will have an opportunity to share with them the things that we study in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and then the things that we study in 6 through 18 uh, with them. And God can really use it in your life for evangelism. People indeed are fearful. And the truth is, the truth is, they have a right to be fearful. But you and I have the answer to overcome that fear. And we can grow in the confidence, in our confidence, to be able to rightly divide the Word of God and share the Word of God in a way that will bring honor and glory to Him. So these are just some of the uh, boundaries, if you will, some of the things that we want to look at and consider as we study Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 and some things that we want to keep in mind as we uh, come back now and kind of walk verse by verse, (coughs) phrase by phrase through these things and see the heaven realities that will take place. Beloved, nothing like this has ever happened in the past. Liberals who deny the truthfulness of God's Word, they say you can't look at anything and see that that's ever happened before, so why would you believe that? Because I'm a Bible-believing person, and because it's God's Word, and because God says it, uh, I uh, believe it. And folks, right? He hasn't come back yet like He says He's going to do. And He hasn't ushered in a new heaven and a new earth. And He hasn't done all the things. And beloved, yes, those things haven't happened. But you and I know when you study God's Word, particularly when you study prophecy, you don't say they haven't happened. We say they haven't happened yet. They haven't happened yet. May God spur us on to love and holiness and righteousness and pursuing the truthfulness of His Word. And may He undergird us with confidence that we may boldly go and share the truths that we ourselves are learning through the study of His Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us and thank You for sending Jesus Christ to purchase our pardon pay for our salvation and to bring us into the family of God. Father, I pray that you would um, honor your word like I know you will and that you will bless us as we read and as we hear the words of this prophecy. And Father, as we take steps to heed the things that we are um, studying, and God, would you continue to Um, affirm and confirm and establish us uh, in that which you've called us uh, to to be and to do. Father, I pray that you would just continue to magnify and glorify yourself in our midst as we lift up Jesus high in this place. Father, may you draw all of us, men and women, boys and girls, to yourself, and may you be honored and glorified and praised by that uh, which we offer up to you. Our prayers 
our tithes, our gifts, our lives. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.